Okay, good morning. The Lord be with you. Hey, welcome to our first Sunday, New Life East at uh, Rocky Mountain Classical Academy. Big thanks. We've got some folks from RMCA who are here this morning. So big thanks to you for opening your space up to us and making this available to us. Friends, why don't you just lift your hands to heaven this morning. Stand up on your feet if you're able to. And let's begin to open our hearts to the presence of God. And so we say, Lord Jesus, we are here for you this morning. Your promise that was wherever two or three were gathered together in your name, that you'd be there in the midst of them. And so we trust that that is so this morning. We ask that you would make your presence manifest by your spirit. We ask that you would open our hearts and open our ears and open our eyes to your wonders. We pray that you would put praise on our lips in a fresh way this morning. Granted, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together. sing this out together. Infinite, self-existing, beyond the ends, before beginning, eternal one, creator God, you made the Self-sufficient, so high above, but never distant. Made for your love, fashioned from dust. You gave us breath, and it was good. Let's lift it up. Come on. All the glory and honor, blessing and power, because your name. Betrayal. 
our faith and let's declare this aloud together and I love that it's the first time in our new space that we're declaring this together so if you would pay extra special attention to it every word let's let it soak into our beings let's sing this out that he has conquered the grave that he has done all these amazing things we give him all this exaltation but I also want to pair that with just the mental knowledge of what he is what he's done for us Let's declare this together. Come on. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory.
to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead in the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's sing this together. Silence, fear, and all shade. You conquer death in the grave. To you, the glory, Jesus. I want to clear it out. You broke the curse of our sin. is the Lord, forever his kingdom shall reign. 
exalted, the King is exalted. Sing that again, for He is the Lord. of the line in that song where we we sing to God and we say, open the heavens and receive what is yours. And I don't know how you think about worship, but often in my mind when I'm worshiping, worship is something I possess and then I'm like handing to God. And I'm like sort of hoping that he's okay with it. But I love the idea in that song because what is true is that any amount of worship, any act of worship was never ours in the first place. It was always God's. We've just like relented to the moment. And that's true of when we sing songs, but it's also true of when we give of our tithes and our offerings. And what we're handing over to God in that moment is not something that was ours that we're now saying, I hope this works for you. What we're doing is giving back to him what was always his. That all he's actually done in the moment is looked at us and said, hey, I I hope I can trust you with this. I hope we can trust you to be generous. I hope I can trust you to be wise. And so what we do, New Life East, every weekend when we give of our tithes and offerings, whether you're giving in person or you're giving online, there's multiple ways that you can join with us. What we're doing is continuing in our worship by saying, God, we know this is already yours. We're just handing it back to him to do with it what he can do. Would you join me this morning as we pray over every dollar, over every penny, every check that is written and given to the church. God, we are thankful that you would trust us with such resources. And God, we say that whether it be a lot of resources or it would feel like a little. We're thankful that in this moment, what we can do is align our hearts with yours, continue in worship by saying, God, thank you for trusting me with this, but I know it's yours. And so God, that's what we do. I thank you for every person who gives in this house, every person who helps the mission of the church move forward through their generosity. We pray a blessing over them. We pray a blessing over these resources. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Well, if we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I'm the associate lead pastor here. And um, if it's your first time joining us here, I'm just gonna let you know, it's all of our first time joining us here. Um, None of us have actually done this in this room before. So if you're a guest, welcome. We're all just visiting at this moment. Um, if you are a guest, though, we would love to meet you and say hi. You'll notice that in your row, there are some guest cards. We'd love it if you take that card. You can either scan the QR code on the top of it, or you can take it, fill it out, and bring it to an area called Connect Central, which is just on your way outside of this large worship space that we call the Commons. Because it is our first Sunday here, I want to give you guys just like a bit of an orientation to the space. The amount of people I have heard say, where is the bathroom? We're going to go ahead and solve that real quick. We're just gonna go ahead and set everything up. So the bathrooms, women's restrooms are right in this open corridor right here. Men's restrooms are right here as well. If you are a family with kids, you probably already dropped your kids off in kids ministry, which is down that first hallway right across from it is Connect Central. And there's a little room with coffee and donuts. Praise the Lord. All this stuff is here. One of the things that you can't see is right outside of these back doors is a playground. But here's the deal, parents. This playground is not fenced in. 
And life safety is not patrolling it, okay? It's not a prison yard where your kids get to go out and they'll play and the police will guard it. That's not happening. What that means, this is gonna be a high calling this morning, is that if your kids go out there, you have to parent them. I know. As Colin said in our pre-service huddle, we made this decision to have children. So here we are, be good parents, keep an eye on them. One of the other things I wanna tell you, one of the things that is unique about New Life is that we take communion every Sunday. And um, Pastor Andrew at the end of his message will give these instructions, but I'm gonna give them to you just so you're aware of them as well. If you're down here on the bottom level, when it's time for communion, we're all gonna exit to the center aisle. You'll come forward, communion servers will be up front. They'll serve you, you take the wafer, you'll dip it, you'll take it back to your seat and take it with your friends and family. If you are up there in the balcony, which there are a, a good chunk of you, there's a communion station up here. Your communion server will be there. He is, I think it's Travis, right? Travis, yeah, he's raising his hands. He will be happy to serve. Yeah, Travis Hearn. We love Travis Hearn. Form an orderly line. I don't know what that means when you're taking communion, but be good Christians about it and uh, have fun. Why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to the folks that are around you. me? The Lord be with you. So good to see you all uh, this morning. Again, welcome to our first Sunday at Rocky Mountain Classical Academy. And uh, this, uh, it's been, this transition uh, for us has been in the works now, really for the last several months. And so a lot of energy and time has been poured into making the transition happen here. But what has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle is that this also, this Sunday is actually New Life East's fourth birthday. Can you believe that? So this very weekend, this very weekend, four years ago, uh, we were doing the same thing over at Grand Peak Academy. All the effort and the energy expended on just setting that space up and being ready for worship. And when I look back over the last four years, it's just amazing. It's hard to believe in some ways that four years has gone by. In other ways, that feels like a really long time ago. 
But I said to Pastor Colin at the end of the service on Sunday, as we were loading out the final things at Grand Peak Academy, I said, man, I love, uh, I love what our church has become. And I love who our church has become. And we are exactly the people that we need to be for this moment that God has given us. So I'm just so enthused about this moment. So grateful to be here. Uh, four years ago in that transition to Grand Peak Academy, I said this yesterday, some of you that were at our little prayer service of prayer and consecration, uh, you heard me say this, but it's worth repeating. Four years ago, the person who was really responsible for organizing all those details and making sure that that launch went off smoothly was Colin Stoddard. And here we are four years later, and he's done the exact same thing. It's been a huge load for him. And so the scripture says to honor those who work hard among you in the Lord. And so Colin, we love you and we appreciate you. I also did want to give just an appreciation to uh, Malara and Scott, two members of RMCA's board are here with us uh, today. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for opening this space up to us. And uh, everything for us is about relationship. And so we're looking forward to a fruitful and productive relationship with you guys and a relationship that really does minister to the, uh, the neighborhoods and the families around RMCA. So grateful, grateful for you guys. Open in your scriptures to the book of John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, we're in the middle of a series called Behold, a series on the book of John. And uh, we, where we get that from is John 1, 29. Uh, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus approaching him for the first time, what John says is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that refrain, Behold, is repeated over and over again throughout the book of John. That the task of faith, so much of the task of faith before we believe anything or do anything for the Lord, it's just to see who he is. And somehow it's in that act of seeing who Jesus is that our own hearts are transformed, our lives are transformed. And so what John winds up being, this Gospel of John, really is a series of encounters between people and Jesus, all different people from all different walks of life. As they see who Jesus is and encounter him, something in them begins to unfold towards the beauty of the Lord and they're transformed. And as we look at their interactions that they have with Jesus, also something in our own hearts opens up and is transformed. So last week we looked at an iconic story in John, John chapter 3, Jesus in his conversation uh, with Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees, the great ones. He was sort of an establishment in Israel. And now we come to this other moment here in John uh, chapter 4 where Jesus talks with somebody else and this person could not be more different than Nicodemus. And still, uh, Jesus meets her right where she's at. The Gospel of John chapter 4, hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and he went back once more into Galilee. And now he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. And it was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Now how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, uh, you have had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not quite your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. A woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the very one speaking to you, I am he. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. It's good to be in your presence. It's good to be in your presence, Lord Jesus. We're thankful for these scriptures that are ever fresh to us and ever relevant to us. And they're not relevant because they have anything of themselves that is so relevant, but they're relevant because you are alive and you keep taking these scriptures and you keep speaking them to us. That somehow these scriptures, they are and they become for us in new ways, the very word of the Lord to us. And so we thank you that all of us in different ways are in this story, maybe in ways that we don't even understand. I pray that you would help us see this morning that this story is not just the story of this woman with Jesus or some woman a long time ago with Jesus, but this story is the story of all of us with you. And this is the story about what you offer to us right here, right now, wherever we find ourselves. And so come, what else can we ask? We ask that you would take these scriptures and you would speak them to us. We ask that you would take the words of the preacher's mouth and that you would use those words. And then we ask that you would come and meet us here at the table of the Lord, that you would minister your own body to us and your own blood to us, that you would give your own life to us in a way that makes us alive, in a way that solidifies our identity as the people of God, in a way that reminds us that we're God's kids, whatever may come our way. So grant it, we pray. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. There's a few things that I noticed about this text that I love so much. The first thing I noticed that just stands out to me is just the way in which, like what we say. We said it during uh, the, the song that we sang in worship, Pure Exaltation, and we sang that we declared the Nicene Creed. And so what we say about Jesus in the Nicene Creed, what the words of the Creed declare, is that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of the Father, you guys know it, and He is God from God, life from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through Him all things were made. And then we say, for us and for our salvation, what happened? He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit and Virgin Mary, became truly human. And so it says all of these things, and it says them in a kind of dogmatic register, which is what the creed is supposed to do. But I love how when you actually read the stories of Jesus, you see what that looks like in motion. And here is Jesus. And the scripture says that tired as he was from the journey, he sits down by this well and he asks this woman for a drink. He is tired and he is thirsty. 
And we're seeing something in that of the paradoxical nature of who Jesus is. He is both fully God and he's fully man. That this one who asks for a drink, that thirsts himself, is going to give this woman living water. And this one who does get hungry is also going to be the bread of life for the world. And this one who is pierced, he also heals our wounds. And this one who dies is the very one who raises us up from death. And so even here in this story, you see those dynamics at work, that this one who is fully human, just as we are, that somehow he's able to communicate the very life of God to us. I noticed that, and I'm struck by that. But I think the bigger thing that I'm struck with is just the location kind of of this whole thing. The scripture says that Jesus is going through Samaria, okay, on his way back to where he needs to get to. And Samaria may not mean a lot to you or to me, but in the first century, to write a text like this and to say that Jesus was going through Samaria would have raised a whole bunch of red Flags. Samaria was not a place that was looked upon favorably by Jewish people of the first century. Uh, when the Jewish nation split in 2, 722 BC, and the northern kingdom was hauled away off into exile, for a time it was just sort of poor Jewish people that were left behind in the land. And after many years had elapsed, one king decided to send a whole bunch of people back to that area and repopulate it. And so he repopulated it not with a bunch of Jewish people but with foreigners from all over the surrounding areas. And those foreigners came in and they intermarried with Jewish people. And so you got this kind of mixing of Jewish blood and pagan blood. And not just that, but you also had a mixing of kind of ancient Jewish religion with this sort of polytheistic pagan religion of the surrounding area. And so by the time of the first century rolls around, Jews kind of in the southern kingdom who had repopulated the area after the southern kingdom had been repopulated by Jews, they looked at the northern kingdom as like, those people are like, ethnically, they're half-breeds, so we don't really associate with them, okay? But even more than that, religiously, like, they are completely compromised in every way. And so you see this in this story, that when Jesus sits down by the well, there's a Samaritan woman who sits down next to the well, and they get involved in this conversation. And what is so fascinating to me about the conversation is that this woman has a sense early on that there's some kind of distance that she needs to negotiate with Jesus. Hey, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Well, you're a male and I'm a female. Where the place that we should worship, you guys say that we should worship is over there. And we think that we should worship over here. You see her throw up all of these objections. And Jesus keeps rushing at her with this invitation of life. Like if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he keeps like putting this question of life in her face as she keeps throwing up objections and Jesus keeps deconstructing every single one of those objections until finally she goes, listen, I just can't like take this conversation anymore. She says, you know, when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to explain everything to us. And what does Jesus say? I, the one who speaks to you, I'm he. I am right here. And I am right now, and I am for you. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you need life? I'm here. And stop with your objections. And stop with all the distance that you've created in your mind and created in your heart. I'm rushing at you with my life right now, and I'm not asking you about all of those things that you have concocted in your heart that keep you far from God. I'm not asking you about any of those things anymore. I'm just asking you if you're thirsty. That to me is maybe my favorite thing about Jesus as I sat with this text this week thinking about it. 
I thought about the way in which Jesus just kind of does that. That we have all of these objections and we have all of these walls and we have all of these things that we've kind of built up between us and God, between us and contact with living life itself. And Jesus has this way of just tearing down all of those things and confronting us like ambushing us with the life of God. I remember being an 11th grader, 16 years old and born and raised in church. And I was in a period, 13, 14, 15, where I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of confusion a lot of things that I was wondering about God, about myself, about my future. And I was just, I remember just being so messy in the head. And I also felt like in a lot of ways, my contact with God was kind of sporadic. That it was sort of flit in and flit out, but I wasn't sure if I really knew God in a really deep way. And I remember just one morning, 11th grade, a normal like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, getting ready for school. I always did my little devotional time. And so I spent some time in prayer and then I opened up the scriptures and I remember flipping over my Bible, open my Bible to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you know the text. Love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I don't know if you ever get into these kinds of things, but one of the things that will happen to me sometimes in my devotional time is that we'll just start feeling kind of rote to me. And you just kind of do it, you know, and you read the Bible and you say your prayers or whatever. And I was just kind of doing that. And I, but I was kneeling down by my bedside praying and reading the scriptures. And I remember, I just, I will never forget it. I remember reading that text of scripture and it was like somehow God took those words and ripped them apart. And like all of a sudden the face of God appeared to me, like Jesus Christ. And I saw that those words were not just a description of love in the abstract, but we believe that God is love. And Jesus is the very incarnation of God who is love, which means that those words in 1 Corinthians 13, those are a self-description. That's a self-portrait of Jesus. Augustine said about the scriptures, for now see the scripture of God as the face of God melt in his presence. And I remember reading that text and seeing a portrait of the face of Jesus and like being ambushed by the love and the life of God. Have you ever had that happen to you? All of a sudden the spirit fell upon me in this profound way. There was like a knowing of the Lord that took hold of me that was unique. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before in my life. And I remember, you know, what Jesus says in this text, he says that if anybody comes to me and drinks, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, what happens? These rivers of living water will gush up from within them. And when you taste the life of God, when you experience the life of God, when God has revealed to you, that's what happens. All of a sudden there is this like welling up in your own soul. And I remember for like the next year of my life, I just felt like I had this smile on my face, this thing in my heart, this like energy in my spirit that I could not quite contain. That's what God does. That's what God does. And was I asking for God? Yes. Did I need God? Yes. But there was like, it was like God gave me more of himself than I was even asking for. And he always does that. He's always exceedingly abundantly far beyond all we could ever ask or even imagine. When I think about this pattern of how God behaves in our lives, it seems to me that this is just what God does all through the centuries. I think about the apostle Paul. Paul, before he is Paul, he's Saul. It's one of the chief Pharisees. And you know the story, if you've read the scriptures, of when the early church is emerging, Saul, like he can't stand it. He just thinks that this whole Christian religion is just bogus. It's crazy. So he gathers up a bunch of letters and he's going around trying to arrest the Christians and throw them in prison. And he's on his way to Damascus. And what happens? This light flashes around him, this voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's knocked from his horse. He has an encounter with the Lord. There is this ambushing, all of the distance that Saul had created in his heart. I'm a Pharisee. I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in Jesus. What does Jesus do? Closes the gap. 
bridges the gap becomes. Finds Saul and Saul becomes Paul. And we are in this room in part because of that moment, because of what, because of what God did. I think about the great St. Augustine, one of the great heroes of the faith, just an ordinary pagan guy trying to live a pagan life and figure out what the truth is and all this. And in his classic book, The Confessions, where he talks about his journey of faith, he says of the Lord, one of the great poetic passages in all of Christian history, he says, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient, so new. Late have I loved you. He said, I came to know you late in my life. You were within me, he said, because none of us, none of us can be outside of God. God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Augustine says, you were within me, but I wasn't with you. And I went and I searched for you among all the lovely things that you had made. And I didn't find you among them. Although they, they wouldn't have even had their being at all unless they had had their being in you. Augustine was like, I was wandering around blind. And then he says this. He says, then you called and you shouted and you broke through my deafness, he says. You flashed and you shone. You dispelled all my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. He says, I took in your breath and now I burn with longing for your peace. Somehow God found Augustine where he was at. And in that moment was born one of the great theologians of Christian history. God closed the gap. God, just like we see here in John 4, deconstructs all of the distance and gives living life to us. I think about one of the great men of faith of our era, the last century, Raniero Cantalamessa, Catholic priest, about 40 years old, 45 years old, comes to the United States on the invitation of some friends, and he begins to experience the Holy Spirit. This was back in the late 70s, amid all the charismatic renewal that was happening in the United States. And he's going, I feel like there's something here that I need to like. And so he gets down and he just begins to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one morning, just like I had in 11th grade by his bedside, Raniero is praying, asking for the gift of the Spirit, and the Spirit falls upon him. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit in the ev- with the evidence of speaking in tongues, a Catholic priest. And he winds up later on being appointed the preacher to the papal household in the early 1980s. You know what that is? That's the guy who leads chapel services at the Vatican and preaches the gospel to the Pope. Every single Friday, Raniero is still alive. He's still doing it. This tongue-talking, charismatic, filled with the Spirit in the Vatican, leading chapel services over in Rome. And how did that happen? Ambushed by the Spirit of God. And you know what he said? He said later in his life, he said, I had to repent. After that moment took place, I had to repent for all of the ministry I ever did in my life that wasn't done under the empowering agency of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that? So here's Jesus. And here's this woman, Samaritan woman with a complicated past, to say the least. And Jesus is like, stop talking about all the, just enough. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I'm right here. I'm right now. The psalmist said, Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. Psalm 87, 7, as they make music, they will sing all of my fountains are in you, who is the very fountain of life that the psalmist spoke of? It's Jesus. And I wonder this morning as we're in this space together in the presence of God, I wonder what are the distances you have created between you and life itself, between you and God? Maybe you've got something of a complicated past like this woman has. Or maybe you don't come from a religious background or pedigree, and so you kind of have this thing where you're like, you know what, it feels like whenever I'm in church... Or whenever I'm around Christian people, I feel like they get it and they know all the rules and everybody else has kind of beat a path in the presence of God and they know how to do this and I don't know how to do this. Maybe that's, maybe that's you, you know. 
Or maybe you're like, you know, there's like this whole thing that happens when Christians gather and I just don't really understand the rules or I don't understand, you know, that Nicene Creed thing that we did. Like that all just went way over my head and I don't understand doctrine. And every time, you know, like it feels like every time I come to church and preachers open the Bible, you know, they got like, apparently like it's a really meaningful book to them, but like it's not that meaningful of a book to me because every time I try to read it, I don't know, it just kind of like feels like it's like sawdust in my mouth. You know, it just doesn't, you got all of these like things that you have created or you don't understand how complicated my past is or my background is or any of that stuff. And I don't, You've created all of this stuff in your mind that's like standing between you and God. And what's the invitation of Jesus this morning? It's the same. Knock it off. Shut up. Are you thirsty? Come and drink. But you know the way that I think that actually this more commonly kind of works in our hearts? Is that maybe it's not just between us and God, but maybe the way this more commonly works in our hearts is what we think is that we are separated kind of from life itself or from the living itself until certain things happen in our lives. So like how many times have you ever phrased it like this in your heart? That my life will really begin when? Fill in the blank. You ever done that? It feels like everybody else is really living and they've really come in contact with like life itself. But you're like, but I can't really like experience that. My life will really begin when? Fill in the blank. I find a mate. <laughs> That's when my life will really begin. That's when everything is going to be amazing, you know. Or, alternatively, my life will really begin when I no longer am in relationship with the mate that I'm with right now. <laughs> Once I clear that hurdle, then I'll come in contact with life. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like, you know, I've got this thing that I'm hoping for in my future. You know, I really want to get into this graduate school or this PhD program, and my life will really begin when... I do those things. Or my life will really begin when I achieve this sort of status in my career. My life will really begin when I have this amount of money. My life will really begin when I attain this certain kind of, you know, my friend circle evolves to look like whatever it is. Or I will really begin to live when I have a certain number of followers on social. I don't know what your thing is. But if that's you this morning, and if you're holding that, and all of us in different ways hold that, you know, we're just like waiting for that one moment that will cross that threshold and then everything will be amazing. And I'm not old, but I'm not young anymore either. I've lived long enough to know that every time I have done that in my heart, well, you know, when I really achieve this moment, that's when everything is going to be amazing. And you get there and it's awesome for like 10 minutes. And all of a sudden that like thing yawns at you again. And you know what you do? You kick the bucket down the road. And you go, oh, okay, well, it's this other thing. Apparently I was mistaken about this deal, but this must be the thing over here. So when I get to this like place in my life, that's the moment when I'm really going to live. And you get to that place in your life and that's awesome for you know how long? Yeah, 10 minutes. And actually less. I think it's actually, it's like decreasing, you know, the residual gains of it or whatever. And nine minutes, eight minutes, and pretty soon you start realizing like everything is just like lame. <laughs> and at some point that moment of disillusionment is actually like the most beautiful thing that can ever happen to you because you start realizing that there's nothing in this world that can ever satisfy you. I just can't. Augustine again at the beginning of confessions, you know, he said, he said, you awaken us, O God, to delight in your praise for you have made us for yourself and our souls are restless until they rest in you. Have you learned to do that? Have you learned to do that? It's the invitation this morning. But I want to say one more thing to you this morning before we start heading to the table in a few minutes here. Maybe 
what you're saying to yourself this morning as you're listening to all of this is you're saying that, Andrew, you really, really don't understand like how complicated my past is. And I've actually had moments, you know, of knowing the Lord or I've had moments of experiencing the presence of God, but you don't understand what's happened to me or you don't understand what I've done or you don't understand how knotted up and complicated and confusing like all of my past is. And if that's you this morning, I want to say something to you. And when I was thinking about this passage this week, this story, one of the questions that occurred to me to ask is like, here is this whole interaction that happens between Jesus and this woman at where? Where are they? It's the woman at the... Well, and I started asking, I wonder, where is the first time in Scripture we see somebody at a well? And what's happening there? Here is this woman with a complicated socio-ethnic background. Here is a woman with a complicated story. And where is the first time that somebody encounters God at a well? And you know where it is? Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You know the story, Abram and Sarai, given the promises of God that through their children, God is going to build a family for them that would bring blessing to the nations of the earth, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. This is not a good idea. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Abram's like, geez. (laughs) These two needed some marriage counseling. That's what they needed. They needed help. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows that she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and between me. Then Abram, who's just being a wuss here, he goes, well, your slave is in your hands. Abram said, do whatever, do with her whatever you think is best. And so then Sarai mistreated Hagar. And so Hagar fled. The Egyptian foreigner slave who is now pregnant by this man and is not being protected by this man. She flees in the desert, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar where? near a spring in the desert. And it was the spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, and he said to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you? Isn't that always the question that God asks of us? Like God helps us locate ourselves. Where have you come from? What are you running away from? And where do you think you're going? And it's these conversations with the Lord that help us locate ourselves in our story. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She answered, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Do you know that Hagar, this Egyptian slave woman who is pregnant and has been mistreated by her husband, this is the first person in scripture to name God. And what does she name him? You saw me. You saw me. When my life was falling apart, when I was mistreated, when I had nobody to look out for me, you came and you found me in the wilderness You gave me something to drink, but you gave me more than something to drink. 
you also gave me protection and you gave me promises and you told me that you'll never leave me or forsake me, that you're with me and you're with the life that is growing in my womb. And I have to believe that that story is somewhere in the background of John's mind when he tells this story, that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh who finds us in all of the places of our desolation and says, I see you, I'm for you, I'm making promises to you, I'm gathering you up to myself. You belong to me just as much as anybody else has ever belonged to me. You're, you're, you're my own. The story, John chapter 4, has a special significance for me. Last summer, I was in Uganda and ministering in the neighborhood there, one of the neighborhoods there at this, we've heard us talk about this trip that we're taking this summer with Aswan Ministries, doing such incredible work in Namayemba. And they sent us out one of the afternoons to do some neighborhood ministry. So visit the homes of people that Aswan is ministering to and all of that. And we went to the home, it, were me, it was me, one person who works for Aswan and another translator. We went to the home of a woman who was about 90 years old. And she's one of the ones who's receiving help from Aswan Ministries. And so we went to her home and she was so dear and so sweet. This little tiny sort of aluminum sided shack in the middle of Namayemba. And she had cleaned it and made sure that it was straightened up for us. And she had a couch and a couple chairs. And we went in and we sat with her. And this woman was just, there's such, well, there was such hunger in her eyes. And we asked her about her story. I wanted to know just a little bit about some biographical detail for her, of her. You're like, where have you come from? And where are you going? So we asked her her story, and she began to tell us her story. And she talked about how when she was a little girl, her mama died. And her and her siblings were left with their dad. And dad, who was up against it financially, not able to take care of them, decided to give her away to one of his brothers, so an uncle. And the uncle mistreated her and kind of kept her in the household for a while, and then finally decided to sell her off to a much older man. And that man married her, and they had some kids, and then that man ran off. And then she got married again later in her life to some other man, and they had a couple kids. And her story became, became this story of decade after decade of, after decade of being abused and mistreated by men. She's 90 years old. And I sat there listening to her story, and I thought, we have heard this story before. But John chapter 4, we've heard this story before. Like Jesus has been here with this kind of a person before. And so I said to her, I said, you know, there's a story that's told in the Gospels. And it's the story that's in John chapter 4. And I said, Jesus had a conversation with a woman who was in much the same situation as you. And this woman had been mistreated by men. And she felt like there were all of these obstacles and distances between her and God. And I said, I just want you to know that Jesus is saying the same thing to you. That he's saying to that, that he said to that woman all those years ago. He's saying, like, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he'll give you living water. Like, are you thirsty? Do you want God? Can we, and I said, can we pray for you? She said, oh, I would love it if you pray. And so the three of us gathered around her and we laid hands on her and we prayed the blessing of God over her. We prayed that Jesus would erupt into her world in a fresh way, that he would show his face to her, satisfy her deepest longings, her hunger and her thirst and all of that. We prayed for her and then we blessed her and we left that house. And when we left the house, one of the folks who went with me in there, he said, she said, do you know, Andrew, she said, that woman was Muslim. And I did not know that. And we just came barreling into her world. And all we did is start asking questions about her story. And she began to talk to us about her complicated past. And in the middle of that complicated past, there is a moment where a story about Jesus all of a sudden becomes her story. 
and the spirit of the living God falls upon her and she opens her heart to God. I don't know what it is about God, but he just has this way of ambushing us with his life. That woman wasn't looking for it, but all of a sudden the Lord dialed up a moment for her, 90 years old on the outskirts of Namayamba, and somehow the presence of God comes barreling into her world. And I just want to say to you, I don't care how complicated your past is. And I don't, I don't care how weird it is. And I don't care how much distance you've created in your own heart between you and God. Jesus is coming for you. He's coming for you. And it might be that you've never actually said yes to Jesus. And so this is a great moment for you to begin to say yes to Jesus in your heart. But it's also, I have found this to be true on the other side of even surrendering our lives to Jesus. That we have these moments where we just feel so messy inside and we feel so distant inside from God. And it's all just kind of this huge jumble. And I remember being there too. I've been there so many times in my life. But I remember back in 2016, coming out of a season that was just a brutal season personally. And my wife and I had some time off, and so we took a little vacation. And I remember we were staying at a friend's house in Green Bay, Wisconsin, in the middle of summer up there in Wisconsin, which is the only time that it's good to be in Wisconsin. Holiday, amen. It's actually, you know what's crazy is right now they don't have any snow up there. It's like global warming or something crazy. Very bizarre. But anyway, middle of the summer, and I remember waking up that morning. We were getting ready to do some family activities and stuff. I got up before the family, and I felt like such a disaster inside. You ever felt that way? Just like your insides are scrambled, who you are is scrambled. I felt like the world was mad at me. I was mad at myself. I couldn't really locate God either. I was just like all my instrument panel, everything was just crazy for me. And I remember I made a cup of coffee and I left the house and I walked to a nearby park and I sat down at this little picnic table in the park and I was working through the Song of Solomon in my devotional time. And I opened my little, I just had my little Bible app. And so I opened my phone and I sat there at the picnic table with my coffee, feeling like a disaster inside. And I came to the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, chapter 5. And the beloved says to the woman, he says, my heart is pounding for you. And then he calls her this. He says, you are my dove, my flawless one. And I remember of... You know this, those of you that have been around East for a while, I get in fights with God sometimes. I remember having a fight with God. How can you say that to me? You see the disaster that I am inside. You see the mess that I'm making of things. You see how chaotic things are in my mind. Do you have the gall to call me your dove, your your flawless one? Are you delusional? But I know my flaws. And you got to know them. You're apparently God. You got to know them better than I do. I'm a chaotic mess. How can you say that? And there's something about the scripture that when God says it, it has this way of becoming true in you. That it takes root in you in a profound way. It's like my dove, my flawless one. My dove, my flawless one. Like I'm choosing you, Andrew. Even though you feel like a chaotic mess, even though it feels like you've made all these mistakes, I'm choosing you. Like I want access into your world. My dove, my flawless one. I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not. Yes, you are. And do you know that God does not love us because we are so lovable? Do you know that it's the love of God that makes us lovable? It's the love of God that makes us lovely. And it's true about this woman in John chapter 4. She's lived this completely chaotic life. It has been a mess. She has made mistakes. Things have been done to her. Men have taken advantage of her and abused her and all of that stuff. But Jesus says, 
that you have had five husbands. I don't know if you caught this in the text. And he says, and the man that you're now with is not quite your husband. How many men now is that? And now there is another man standing in front of her. How many makes that? The seventh man. The one she's been looking for all of her life is standing in front of her. And he will not let her down. And he won't let you down. Would you stand to your feet? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. So, church, as we prepare ours for communion, the question that the Lord is asking to us this morning is the same question that he asked Hagar. Where are you coming from and where are you going? And I want you just to take this moment here to locate yourself in the presence of God. What's the hunger of your heart right now that you keep thinking is going to be filled by other things? That you keep thinking that another person is going to fill that somehow? That you keep thinking that some moment in your career that happens is going to fill that thing? What is that thing for you? Well, maybe like the woman here in John chapter 4, what you've done is you've created all of these like distances in your heart between you and God, between you and life itself. Well, you don't understand. I've done this or I've experienced that and now is not a good time and all of that. What's the distance? And I, I want you just to see I want you to see Jesus barreling into those places this morning and offering himself to you in the same way that he offered himself to this woman. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Because that's the offer that is in front of us at all times. And at the end of the day, Christianity is not this incredibly complicated thing. At the end of the day, Christianity is this incredibly simple thing. It's that we come to God hungry and thirsty. We come to God as beggars. We come to God a hot mess. And what God keeps doing is he keeps offering himself to us, the life of eternity to us, the kingdom of God to us, and asking if you wanted everything that you ever hoped for, everything that you ever dreamed of, all that your heart could ever desire, it's right here, right now. And so Jesus, we open ourselves to you. We open ourselves to you. And we want to say to you this morning that all of the hunger of our lives was always a hunger for you. And all of the thirst of our lives was always a thirst for you. And so as we prepare ourselves for the table, what we do is we just repudiate all of the things that we have put in the place of you. Our hearts are restless till they rest in in you. And that means that there's nothing that can satisfy us. And every time we try to use other things to satisfy that ache, what we're going to wind up doing, well, we're going to wind up being hungry and thirsty still, and we're going to abuse those things. And so we just pray that you'd help us stop all of that. Help us come in simplicity and humility of heart with repentance in our spirits, help us come to eat and drink of God. So we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, come. We pray that you would take the bread and the cup this morning and just like you've taken the words of scripture and given them to us as your very word, so take bread and cup and give them back to us as the life of God that satisfies us in the innermost and transforms us. Granted, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said,
Amen. I'm going to invite the servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on the right of the stage over here and on the left of the stage as you come, just like we did at Grand Peak Academy. If you're down on this uh, base level here, you'll come up the center aisle. The server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. And then as Pastor Rory explained, if you're upstairs, Travis, Hearn, and maybe one other person somewhere, Travis and Braden, what's up, my dog? Going to be serving communion to you guys up there. So you just come exit up the aisles. You can get communion and then head back around to your seat. Brothers and sisters, I say to you that these are the gifts of God and they are given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
like this. Receive this benediction. New Life East. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team, prayer ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. They also will be upstairs. 
If you need prayer and you're upstairs, you can go see Pastor Glenn Smith is over there. Uh, fellowship hour, coffee, donuts. You're welcome to come back in here after you get your kids. This is just us kind of making sense of a new space. So coffee, donuts, come and hang for as long as you want to hang. And those are all the words that I have to say, I think, right? Anything else that I should say? Okay, we did it. Week one, amazing. <laughs> go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.